How's it going, folks? We're back. Uh, it's been quite a while. Fans of the ice will be pleased with this episode. I have a uh, nice gift from a friend of mine, the botanist. I think I've had it before, uh, but now my friends know I am perhaps a borderline alcoholic, so they keep giving me uh, <laughs> scotch and gin and, and the like. Um, yeah, I took a long break. I was studying for the bar exam, California bar. I passed. I was sworn in, so now I am a uh, licensed attorney in California. As of this recording, I have a job offer that I am uh, going to accept, unless something insane happens between tonight, it's 8.12 as I'm recording this, and tomorrow. Um, this is a fun episode because I'm actually going to talk a bit myself, and then I'm going to have a, a guest on in the next segment. Uh, my friend Luke, and I'll get into that in a second. I wanted to... <laughs> so, basically, here's what's happening. I lost some fire to make the podcast, because uh, I was just too busy, and I get probably about a dozen angry people in my DMs, um, and I have to try to convince them and send them information and the like. But, I think that... Um, Going forward, I might not respond to everybody simply because I don't think I'll have the time. But I do have to, especially when people are just driving me up a wall, I have to make the podcast. I mostly do it for me. I appreciate if anybody gets anything out of it. Um, we're still in this problem in America about people thinking that their opinions and someone's expertise are the same thing. And we're having this problem with vaccines, we're having this problem with the legal system, we're having this problem with the courts. Uh, and it's been just incredibly frustrating in this order. With the vaccine, we have people basically saying, oh, the vaccine came out too fast, I don't know what's in it, you know, uh, I'm very concerned, this is a new type of vaccine, blah, 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 blah. <sighs> Now, listen, I'm a lawyer. I don't know anything about vaccines. I really don't. I don't know what's in them. I don't know how they work. Well, I kind of know how they work. Like, I know the layman's idea of how they work, like how you would explain it to a child. I know that. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and trust the people who spent their lives working on this. I'm going to trust the trials. I'm going to trust everything they went through to put it out. I'm going to trust the systems of government that we have overseeing this. And uh, I'm going to go with that. Now, there have been about 10 severe allergic reactions, uh, and I believe that was with 4 million applications of the vaccine. Uh, and a friend of mine, sort of like a cousin of mine, uh, who has severe allergic reactions is very concerned. And I said, hey, that's a, that, that's a fair fear for her to have. But in the end of the day, you have to think COVID-19, the research has shown that about 15% of cases have long-term effects. That's very serious. I mean, we're talking about lung scarring. We're talking about cognitive decline. We're talking about very serious long-term effects. And 15% of the cases is through the roof. I mean, that is crazy high. So, please, folks, let's... <laughs> I hate to use the phrase, stay in your lane, but let's stay in our lane, okay? I'm not, you know... Um, and by the way, you can... There's a million resources for, for the research that they've done for the safety of the vaccine... 
Uh, I shared one on my Facebook, if you have me on Facebook. Uh, if not, you can follow me on Facebook, a few of you already have. Um, and you can see the stuff I post, and I've posted a couple times. Information about the vaccine, information about the new method they're using, which, by the way, isn't even that new. They've had it for decades. They're just now using it for this type of virus. So believe me, you should have all the confidence in the vaccine. Uh, and everyone that can get vaccinated should be getting vaccinated. It's just beyond me. Now, in an area that is my expertise, is at least maybe not my expertise, at least I'm more knowledgeable in, was the litigation over voter fraud, which was, I wish I would have done a podcast, just completely asinine. I am sorry. You guys, and by you guys, I mean those who've been giving to the recount efforts uh, supporting Donald Trump, were just hoodwinked. You guys were just scammed, and you donated basically to a slush fund. I believe the number was eight thousand. If the uh, if your donation was less than eight thousand, it would just went it just went to a slush fund, and they were paying Rudy Giuliani twenty thousand a day for his efforts. And if you saw anything of what he did in court, a clown would have done better, a trained monkey would have done better. Um, he was embarrassing, and uh, and it reflects poorly in the United States that that's who the president has has to put up you know, for his legal defense, but a lot of people wouldn't join him. A lot of law firms wouldn't represent him. And I believe the final count was like 66 to 2 or something in the 60s to 2. Uh, and the two cases were really about how far away poll watchers could stand, and they really went uncontested. Um, they weren't really about fraud or anything like that. And the fraud cases, mind you, in a lot of their legal documents, the attorneys for Donald Trump admitted they weren't claiming widespread voter fraud or widespread election fraud. They were just claiming, you know, very specific cases of voter fraud. And that's important to know the difference. Voter fraud is when one person commits fraud by voting twice or something like that. And that did occur a few times. It occurs in every election. Election fraud is literally you rig the election. Uh, there's no evidence of that. And that's insane. That did not happen. Um, if you believe that, you are probably beyond my reach, actually, but I hope you continue to listen. Um, but voter fraud happens in every election. There's always voter fraud. And uh, I spoke to a friend of mine, smart guy. He thinks it was in the thousands. I would say it's probably not in the thousands. But it can be. It doesn't matter because when you take into account per state, let's say there was, you know, let's be generous with 2,000 just in California. That would change nothing. Nothing changes. Uh, the results obviously going to be the same, and that's going to be the case in a lot of states. Um, so that's and and I mean, if you look at just the documents, you can Google all of this. By the way, I'm I'm constantly surprised at people asserting a point that's so easily Googleable. Is that a word? Googleable? That's a verb. You can look it up. Googleable. Yeah. Well, there you go. Coined. If you use that, give me credit. Uh, so easily Googleable. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, folks, do a little research. Um, and I think, and I'm trying to, and I've been bracking my brain for so long thinking about why are these conspiracy theories and these QAnon things so popular? Um, and the people I see peddling them are always uneducated. And I think it's just wanting to be part of something, wanting to feel smart wanting to feel on the inside, wanting to feel like you belong. 
that coupled with a complete lack of knowledge of how things work. I mean, some of the claims are just outlandish. Like the new claim now is that Trump will be inaugurated in March. That's the that that's their new pivot, which is just insane. I mean, and during the inauguration, they're talking about that Biden will be arrested. For what? I have no idea. Um, and it's completely destroyed the Republican Party. And I've been saying this for a while. The Republican Party has already not been very popular, right? It's already been falling apart. Um, but with these new conspiracy theories, they're going to have to completely restructure this party. And I'll probably talk to Luke. I'll probably bring in Luke on that one for a little bit. Um, he's also really smart in these areas, uh, and I'd love to hear his opinion on this. But I think the Republican Party is going to have to completely restructure because QAnon has destroyed them. Um, so here's the thing. So you have that. You have vaccines. You have these cases of voter fraud where people are disagreeing with the courts. Obviously, you have the insurrection on January 6, which I will talk to uh, with Luke about in a few minutes. And here's the other thing that's very frustrating to me. And this one, I wanted to do this without Luke because um, this has to do with the church. One, obviously everybody saw the Jesus saves uh, signs and whatnot at the Capitol. I attend New Song in Santa Ana, and they were very quick to say that is not representative of the church, and that is not representative of Jesus. And I think it's very important. And it shouldn't be, uh, it should be no hesitation from any church leader to quickly denounce not only what was happening at the Capitol, but any affiliation with, with Jesus and with the church. Um, and obviously a lot of those people were white supremacists and domestic terrorists. I, I, I don't understand why it's so hard to condemn them. We spent, you know, over 800 days worrying about Hillary's emails, but we've, but Republicans are trying to move on from a coup attempt and insurrection, uh, in weeks. But my second point is here's something that's been happening to me quite often. I bring these things up. I criticize leaders. I've done everybody on any side of the spectrum. Um, and Christians will tell me this. And, well, not not Christians that look like me, not black Christians, not Afro-Latino Christians. Uh, I'm speaking of white evangelical Christians will criticize me in this way. They will say, you are breeding hatred. You are causing division. And that's always been the playbook, right? I mean... You can look back to Martin Luther King's criticism, and that's always been the playbook. And it's a very disingenuous, it's a very disingenuous root of attack of saying, this is not of God, what you're doing. And I've gotten this so many times from so many different people that it leads me to believe they don't care about equality, they don't care about justice, they don't care about people feeling... Like you're fighting for them. They don't care about how the church is perceived by minorities. They only care about being comfortable. They only care about everyone being able to smile and shake hands. They only care about being nice. They don't care about being kind. And I think that's a very important distinction. Kind people fight for equality. Nice people just smile and shake your hand. Um, and that's cheap. And I'm tired of it. So I've been calling people out on it pretty frequently um and they will you know they'll say hey i'll be praying for you and they'll weaponize christianity 
but uh, for talking about the same God, I, I speak to him too, so it's just odd. But thankfully, uh, new song. If you need a church to go to, by the way, um, reach out to me. I love new song. I've been going there for a, uh, actually since the murder of George Floyd, and they have been fantastic on leadership, on challenging um, on challenging us on how to deal with change and how to enact change with God's tools and just taking a firm stance against what's been going on. Okay. Um, that being said, yeah, just my true, (laughs) just my true frustrations of people thinking like, listen, man, I'm trying to be a nice guy, but I have people who, you know, barely finished high school trying to explain to me how the government works without any evidence, any facts, anything. And they act like that is just as good as, uh, not even like, not even a degree. Let's like take my credentials out of this, like political science, bachelor's law degree. Let's take all that out of there. Just like facts, just how, like read the constitution, like read this. They don't care about that. Uh, and then you have people who are privileged saying, Hey, let's all meet in the middle. Let's just, be united and meet in the middle, which is what Republicans, that's their playbook, uh, calls for unity, um, which are disingenuous. That's it's crazy. You can't, when you're dealing with racism and you're dealing with fascism and you're dealing with white supremacy and you're dealing with domestic terrorists, you can't meet in the middle. <laughs> Do you understand? The middle is still an awful place to be. You can't meet these people in the middle. You have to be able to call a liar a liar and a racist a racist. And I'm looking forward to being able to have discussions about the minimum wage and healthcare and normal things that we can disagree about. But this whole summer, I feel like I haven't been arguing my opinions. I've been arguing facts with people who refuse to believe in facts. And I've been arguing against racism with people who insist on defending racism. And that's very frustrating. It's a very frustrating discussion to have. Um... If you want to talk to me about policy and how we should handle things and the best way to take care of American people, the best way to be an influence in the world, I'm all ears. I love those discussions. That's very fun. But uh, arguing what's right and wrong isn't as fun, especially when it's so intimately involved. I don't have the luxury of just sitting on the sidelines and saying, let's all get along. These things affect me directly and they affect my family. So... Forgive me if I am forceful in these conversations, but some people are <laughs> some people are making me lose my mind. Okay, uh, I am going to cut here. So if there's like an abrupt transition, forgive me. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast with John, John puts a lot of work into his podcast, and I just don't have that luxury. Also, I'm much lazier than John is. I think um, my guest is Luke Rodriguez. He is a second year law student at uh, UCLA. He is going to be a public defender. He's a very smart guy. We actually went to college together. Uh, We've been friends ever since. And uh, yeah, so he'll be on in a second. Hey, hey. There he is. All right. I have not used this feature before, everybody. So we're going to see how this works. Uh, I got Luke on the line. It's recording right now. Luke, how's it going? Right. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Gustavo. (laughs) I gave you a very good introduction, I think, on the prior segment, which you'll hear on the uh, 
when it's all put together. Basically, I said you're a very smart guy, second year at UCLA, going to be a public defender. Yes, that, that, that is all accurate. I, I was going to say, did you tell them good things or the truth? But I guess you know yeah. a little bit of both. <laughs> this is a truthful podcast, my friend. Okay, we keep it real here. The no spin zone? No, spin, no spin zone. That's right. That's, a, that's no an O'Reilly zone. factor throwback. Yeah, exactly. Um, I spoke a little bit about what happened January six, but I basically was just complaining about a bunch of stuff that's been pissing me off. But I wanted to get your take on January six, the insurrection. How did you feel? What would you liken it to in history? And how do you think history will look upon Donald Trump and the insurrectionists? Yeah. Wow. Well, I'll start off by I was I had actually picked up a friend from the airport that day, and so I didn't get a notification of what was going on until a few hours after it all started. And when it was just my phone was blowing up. You have to check out what's going on in D.C. right now. And I I had sort of suspected that something was going to go badly. I mean, you just saw over the past seeing that that Donald Trump was telling people that this was a stolen election. And that they had to fight back. And I don't know if you remember the thing he said a couple years ago. Where he goes, you know, our side, we have the tough guys, the bikers. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. And I said to somebody, I was like, this is going to get somebody killed. Um, and, you know, of course, that was just my, my Trump derangement syndrome speaking. Um, <laughs> and I was actually on a podcast uh, a few weeks before. I said, you know, there is a very real non-trivial risk of violence as a result of Trump pushing these uh, – fake election claims. And I was specifically speaking to when he, he had tweeted the day I said that, um, you know, fight for Trump, which I get that, you know, that term fight is used in all types of con- uh, contexts. But when you're warned by uh, intelligence officials of what could happen and you have people foaming at the mouth, armed to the teeth, or at least where their teeth would be if they had any, you know, <laughs> that can result in a really, really dangerous situation. And that's exactly what we got. Um, I mean, it was just horrifying. And I, it was one of those things where I, it was something that someone had said that really um, resonated with me was, you know, with other you know, American tragedies, uh, you, it happens and it seems really, really bad. And, and it probably is really, really bad. But as more f- facts come out, you know, there's kind of this haze of confusion. It seems less bad. So, so it takes something like 9-11 where – you know, at first the thought was there was 30,000 dead and that there was going to be just terrorist attacks every single day for, you know, the next couple months. And then obviously 9-11 was still a horrible tragedy, but it turned out that 3,000 were dead and that uh, those wave of attacks didn't come. This was the opposite. It was as more facts came out, it only got worse. Like you, ha- it turned out that 150 police officers were injured. I think something like 60 hospitalized. I might be overseeing that number. Of course, one killed. Uh Unsurprisingly, people had plots to kidnap Mike Pence, uh, kill Nancy Pelosi. I mean, it was just, it became more and no, more it was, horrific. I think, I, think that's, I think that's underreported is the intent of the domestic terrorists. I mean, did you see the report talking about one of the domestic terrorists? Actually, I have his name pulled up here. Mr. Thomas Edward Caldwell, the leader of the Oath Keepers, which was the really spear point of this. Yeah. was getting messages while he was inside the Capitol about where the leaders were and like where they were moving to, which is crazy. Like, how is that, how is that happening? Right. right. And, how and are you getting Facebook messages about where they are? Well, I, I don't want to engage into too, too heavily into conspiracy theories, but Lauren Boebert, the, that QAnon congressman from Colorado was like live tweeting Nancy Pelosi's location 
as the <laughs> was from the Capitol oh on the same day that she tweeted, today is 1776. So, I mean, that, that that's pretty crazy. Actually, that's- too, just worth noting, I just saw a tweet from the FBI about five minutes ago, right before hopping onto this, that somebody from my hometown, uh, well, I'm in Vapple Valley, but Victorville right over, uh, was uh, an owner of the gym there that's been defying uh, the government lately. He was there and got arrested and charged. Oh, wow. the capital. Uh, in terms of what I would liken it to history, capital there was also strong too. This is right around when uh, Spain was transitioning from a uh, from a dictatorship to a democracy, and the the pro um, Frank uh, pro dictatorship uh, people they they had stormed the capital and. Eventually, those people all were arrested and prosecuted. Not only that, but it kind of created, you know, democracy was sort of fragile in Spain at that time. It created a sort of a back, a pro-democracy backlash. And the pro-democracy wings in Spain had the biggest landslide uh, wins that any faction had had in Spain before. Um, I would hope that that is the result of what we saw last, or I almost said last Wednesday, I have no sense of time now, of January 6th. Sure. Um, you know, a, a, there was this sense that the dam was breaking a, after it happened, that the party, Republican Party, was ready to move on from Trump. I mean, that didn't excuse the um, complicity of the, the previous four to five years, but there was at least a hope that they would move on. And then you had the impeachment vote, and you got 10 Republicans who think that inciting a violent coup is impeachable. Only 10, um, and it's probably going to be even less at the Senate. I mean, if this is right. an impeachable conduct, I have no idea what is. So I. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> that's what I've been saying is, man, Richard Nixon must be just rolling over thinking about <laughs> like what Trump has done and just gotten away with, as opposed to, I mean, because this makes Watergate look like nothing. Right. right. He's, well, and this is a one, and this is one bit. I mean, we have Russia interference where the GOJ basically said, or the independent uh, investigator basically said, I don't know if we can, like, put a sitting president through this, but if we could, he would be charged. Oh, don't forget the phone call the week before with the Georgia Secretary of State. Yes, and then you had Ukraine, which I would have impeached him for that, and then you had the Georgia Secretary where he's he's threatening him to find him votes, and then you have this. I mean, that is, it's unbelievable. Gustavo, you'll you'll appreciate this reference. there are probably celebrations in the streets of Yorba Linda, uh, which is Nixon's hometown. Uh, there's still a lot of Nixon <laughs> apologists there because finally this, the stain of Watergate uh, no longer taints Yorba Linda. In fact, at the Nixon Library, it actually took a while for them to add the Watergate display. But now that is not a huge part of shame anymore because it just, it, like you said, it seems like nothing in comparison. Oh, that's where we saw, uh, what's his face, right? Speak. Right. Um, uh, Kasich, John Kasich. Kasich, that's right, John uh, Kasich. Yeah. And, and then, of course, James Rogan, who's a, for, who, oh, that's who's right. an impeachment manager for Bill Clinton, now is a Fullerton Superior Court judge. In terms of the real right. quick, how this will be remembered in history, I mean, when you think about, like, past presidents, most people can only think of, like, one line of a past president, or maybe they don't get any line at all. So uh, I mean, most people can't tell you anything about Grover Cleveland. And then there's some presidents who they, they just have that one line in history. You know, FDR maybe has two. The New Deal. Oh, you cut off for a second. Four and a half years. 
oh, I just said Trump's one line in history is going to be he incited an insurrection. That will be the line. Right. There's not be much more. I mean, real presidential historians, of course, will have much more to say than that. But in terms of the one line he gets in most people's minds, that's where it will be in 20 years. Man. And it's deserved. I mean, I, it really is. That kind of leads me right to my next question is I was talking about this a little before in the prior segment. The Republican Party is in, is in shambles, right? Yeah. I think, what do you think is going to happen going forward? Are they going to have to complete restructure? Are they going to split into two parties? What do you think? You know, the, the Republican Party uh, is fractured, but it has a huge institutional design uh, or huge institutional advantage based off our electoral design. I mean, it shouldn't have, Trump was not even close in the popular vote, but what he's done is he has, realign the Republican Party where they're just maxing out the sort of white working class voters that just live in all the right states to make it even competitive. And right. that, I mean, that and these people, you know, a lot of people say these people are dying off. I'm not so sure that a, a big part of Trump's base is kind of like the age 40 to 55 crowd. Um, so there is. Yeah, no, I don't think it's I don't think it's all the boomers. He actually lost votes with a lot of yeah. seniors. Oh, yeah. uh, like, he lost yeah. seniors in Arizona he, that who he, and he won seniors in Arizona comfortably in in 2016 um yeah so there is you know serious potential and of course how the senate is designed i mean you know wyoming is gets the same number of senators as california um right. <laughs> which is a totally different discussion it's kind of crazy right. but it just you know, like the republican party is you know they, they will always you know for the in the uh, short term at least be a fairly competitive party and then and when it comes to the house um, so long as they're still able to hold the state legislators that they won in 2010 and gerrymander, again, that's a huge institutional advantage. So th- what you literally have is a, a minority party that is decreasing in its popularity, but increasing in its electoral competitiveness. It's insane. Um, now, there is one possible you raised because the party split. Apparently, Trump is talking about the Patriot Party. I don't know if you had talked about yeah. this yet. And, I've heard this, and I hoped uh, oh, he does too. it. Oh, and they've already done early polling and you know because the republican party for the most part with a few admirable exceptions is a cult right now like and it's a shocking number of people say they would follow him to the new party like 60 percent. i could be overstating the number wow really it's it's hot it's hot it it is it is somewhere in the 40 to 60 percent range um so wow you know look we want a good center-right party in this country i mean countries that don't have sane center right parties tend to fail, but that's not what we have. What we have is a pro authoritarian party. And no, again, that's a fascist party. That's a no. fascist party. That's the authoritarian fascist party of Donald Trump. And I think, but again, I mean, I think it's so difficult because like, if you look at the polling of ideas in America, the country is left leaning much more yep. so than it's been in the last few decades. No, absolutely. So I have a question for you, and that you just you just touched on something about, and I agree with you that the Republican Party is basically a pro-fascist party at this point. You and I were both at one point registered Republicans, and you and I probably both would resist when or roll our eyes when some of our classmates would say stuff like that. Were we just completely wrong? Did we just miss something that everybody else saw, or has it just completely changed? <laughs> That's a great question. Here's the thing, and I and. Like I was registered Republican because I was very libertarian, but the Libertarian Party is just not viable. I think that we did miss something, and I hate to say it, and people are going to probably hold this over my head for the rest of my life. But I think that we knew in just enough to be wrong, mm-hmm. 
in a in like a feasible in like a possible what sort of looking for just wrong in like a convincing way you know what i mean well we'd always hold up because, you hold up the people you, you look at somebody like ben sass or mitt romney you think well, no no but that's actually the party when really it's marjorie taylor green and donald trump that's yes. who the republican but, but race think, fights but i think the republicans did a really good job of tailoring ideas to like appeal to a free market ideology that you and I would support, sure. like a small government free market ideology that you and I would support, that unfortunately is just like a fantasy land. It just doesn't exist. Like I would have argued till I was blue in the face about trickle-down economics like four years ago mm-hmm. because a rising tide raises all boats is just such a simple story to tell, but it makes sense in a small – like if you took Economics 100, it makes sense. But then if you right. took economics right. 300, it doesn't make sense anymore. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm, so right like, no, no, no. Think- a, a lot of – I've noticed this with like especially – not to insult your former self, but with libertarian – and I was ne- I never considered myself a libertarian. I was always skeptical yeah. of the sort of free market on steroids approach that libertarians sure. took. But you're right. It's a very simplistic sort of understanding of the world, but it makes sense to people on an intuitive level. No, exactly. And that's exactly the whole, I mean, what you just said right there, we should just be, we should just quote that and put it on a sign because that's literally the entire Republican party at this moment is it makes sense intuitively, but if you knew just a little bit more, it wouldn't make sense. Like I don't know if you saw my tweet where I said, you know, when, uh, in the, in the office where Michael Scott said, good ideas are simple, they're short. And then that's the entire Republican Party. Right. You know? Well, what, what's that old? I don't remember who said it. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? Where it's oh, you I, have yeah, just I, enough. And you and I, we experience this all the time. I mean, you're you're now oh. a, have a, have a, a juris doctorate or a lawyer. I'm in my second year of law school, and people talk to us like, no, no let me explain to you what the concept <laughs> of law. And you're thinking to yourself, I oh, have had years of education to understand this. Yeah. And you did a yeah. Google search and read an article from, you know, patriotmagalover.com. <laughs> <laughs> I was just complaining about this because it's the same. I mean, and it's the same discussion with vaccines and it's the same right. discussion with the law, like with the whole voting fraud. I don't oh, want to get into oh it anymore. Right. I went through that whole thing in the in the prior uh, episode, but in the prior segment. But it's the same thing. People think their opinion, and that and Donald Trump has really brought that out in people, where you know he's basically saying my opinion is just as good as anybody's expertise. Right. Very dangerous. Well, you know, think what is Ben Shapiro's line? He always says about how you know facts don't care. About your feelings. About your. Feelings. It seems that for a lot of the for a lot of the right, it's the reverse. It's feelings don't care about their facts. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. But I will say this: that I that I was talking to somebody else today about the problem with the left is that you have people who are liberals, right? Which I think I would put you and I both in the liberal category of wanting strong right. You know, the classical definition of a liberal. Sure. And then you have these hardcore leftists yeah. who like. They, they 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 try to be so woke they mean themselves. I literally I literally saw somebody arguing against. This is a person argue. It's a leftist arguing against putting Harriet Tubman on a twenty dollar bill because they basically said she worked. She was enslaved because of capitalism. Let's not put her <laughs> on money. Oh like, oh know, boy, stupid that is. Yeah. Like that's the kind of stuff that ends up on Fox News yeah. and makes everyone look like a moron. Right, exactly. And 
and something that there needs to be a, a, a real reckoning with on the left is that I think to both of our surprise, uh, Trump improved his vote share with African-American voters and with Hispanic voters while running one of the yeah. most like obnoxiously racist campaigns <laughs> in a very long time. And I, like, there's just no, I mean, I think it was Charles Blow at the New York Times. He wrote an article and he, his explanation of it was, well, black men too have internalized white supremacy. That does not address the phenomenon. Like there needs to be a serious reckoning with it. Uh, and there's just a, apparently there's almost a multiracial authoritarian uh, impulse in the country. Um, but you're right, though. I think that the the wokesters, so to speak, are uh, one of the greatest liabilities that I, the Democratic Party faces, which is a shame because I think I don't think that's where most of the Democratic Party is. No, that's a very small. I mean, just like the you know uh, insurrectionists are a small part of the Republican Party, the super woke are a small part of the Democratic Party. Well, Gustav, but, I'll give you a hot take real quick. I think there's more, maybe not insurrectionists, but pro-insurrectionists in the Republican Party than there are wokesters. In the Democratic Party, really? Yeah, because if you looked at, I mean, they, they did some of the polling um, after uh, the Capitol was stormed. Again, I'm I'm trying to do my best to. Uh, I didn't bring these numbers with me. I'm trying to do my best, but it was something like forty sure. percent of Republicans supported storming the Capitol. I mean, I, was it really that high? Yeah, it was. It was shockingly high. And I don't I don't wow. know what the equivalent question you would ask. Uh, I don't know, like, are white people inferior? Maybe that would be the equivalent question. <laughs> like maybe like twelve percent of Democrats would say yes. I don't know. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I but uh, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm I'm always an optimist. I think that like You're an the majority Republican the last five years. I I wish I I wish I shared that optimism. But like I you know, and that's the reason. And by the way, every libertarian is an optimist, <laughs> and that's what. Because you think that people are very intelligent. Like I always thought up until Donald Trump got elected, I literally always thought that people were pretty smart generally and they made the best decisions for themselves and they would research things and they would make the better decision. And if that is true, then I would still be a libertarian today. I don't identify as a libertarian anymore because they've proven me wrong. And they've proved me wrong convincingly over and over and over and over. Gustavo, I don't know who the people you hang out with are, but that is not. I, I've not, you know, spent time around like people from Apple Valley, California. Oh man, this maybe this will get me in trouble. Uh, and think to myself, you know, I really trust these people in the voting booth. I, I, I'll give you a great example. I was in line when I was in line to vote. Um, uh, I, you know, I voted a week early. Uh, you know, I, Apple Valley is a pretty Trumpy area. And the lady in line to me was convinced that Donald Trump was going to win California. <laughs> and she yeah. was complaining about her daughter who was voting for Biden, who doesn't live in reality. And I'm thinking to myself, what? I, I, it's just shocking. And another guy was talking about how he was prepared for a civil war if Biden won. Um, you know, I just, what's the Churchill quote? If you spend 15 minutes talking to your average voter, you'll, you know, question democracy. Um, yeah, well, he's right, by the way, because I <laughs> he's absolutely right. But here's the thing. OK, I think that before 2016, you didn't know these people. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you were ahead of the curve. I didn't know these people existed. I thought that if you were a regular American person presented with information that contradicted something you believed in or just any evidence that was strong enough, you would just think differently. Mm -hmm. Like I always, I just always believe this about people because that's how I am. If I have an opinion 
and you present me with evidence that I'm wrong, then I would just say I'm wrong and I would change my opinion. And this doesn't take a college degree that, either. No, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't take any of those. It doesn't take an education, but I was wrong. People are not like that. People are, uh, they're tribalists and they're all about cults. Uh, and yeah, I was very discouraged by 2016. And then I was discouraged by the impeachment trial, which he did not get removed. And then people just kept defending him at, at every level. And I thought, this is insane. Yeah. That, that literally destroyed all my well, libertarian. I, 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 you know, I think you maybe even had the realization quicker than I did. I mean, I, most of what I had just said was coming from my, you know, talking to people in the Trump era, but I mean, during the Republican primary, you know, constantly I'm, I'm saying to myself, the only reason he's ahead is because, you know, this is a, the split in the vote. He's able to just get that 35%, but then the rest of the faction is anti-Trump. I don't think the rest of the anti-faction was anti-Trump. I don't think those Ted Cruz voters were necessarily anti-Trump. And then when he won, I sort of wrote it off as, well, I, you know, I, and I voted for Hillary, but I wrote it off as well. You know, she was a fairly unpopular candidate. Um, Trump did worse. Yeah, well, she was very unpopular. She was very she unpopular. She never rationalized, well, this isn't really, I mean, this was a, clearly the wrong choice, but, um, but this maybe doesn't indicate. And then as time went on, and as you just talked to, to your average Trump voter, and you realize that like it had become a cult where Donald Trump could do nothing wrong. Um, anything that well, when he said, remember when he said I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and I thought he was joking. He was dead serious no, that about was that. Maybe the smartest observation he had ever made. He was right. He was dead on I mean, the money. He, he's, he's, <laughs> he helped inside an insurrection and ignored a, a p- pandemic that has killed over 400,000 people. That is far worse than shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I am, I remain. So, but yeah, uh, to your, to your earlier question, uh, kind of got on a tangent there. I do think we yeah. missed something. I think, and, and this is where I'm, where I'm at now. I think a lot of, Republican ideas and even libertarian ideas, and I hate to say it, rely on you knowing very little and having a very and uh, kind of an intuition about how things should work or how they work in a very small scale, and supporting that. But in the end, it really only benefits the people at the very mm-hmm. top. And I think we've seen that with trickle down economics and how the middle class has been stagnated for decades, and how the rich have always gotten richer. But the middle class has shrunk and diminished and not gained really anything significant. And we increase in the number of people that are just struggling to get by. I mean, this isn't the 1950s anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, well, it, and I think one of the problems that the Republican Party has now is, you know, you had a series of problems in the 1980s, whether it was the increase of uh, rapid rising inflation, slow economic growth, high crime, a Soviet menace. You had all these problems in the 1980s. And Reagan had a set of solutions. You know, part of that was um, was you know tax cuts, whatever. So the, you know, you did see an increase in economic productivity, et cetera. But what the Republican Party has done now is you have a whole new set of 21st century problems, and the answer is still sure. the solutions in the 1980s. Well, those solutions in the 1980s, you know, tax, a tax cut is not the solution to every um, drop in the stock market. I mean, that's just insane. Uh, but and the, but the problem is now yeah. you can convince. Try this. Try this uh, at home, uh, listeners. You can convince a Republican voter on just about any policy if you can sell it as a tax cut. 
Yeah, but see, like, okay, and here's and here's what's frustrating to me. I completely think that's hundred percent true. I think you could, and the voter doesn't know why, but they know that if you end it in a tax cut, and you end up saying you'll pay less in taxes, they just inherently think that's better. Right. But like one of the great examples of that not being better is healthcare, because right now in healthcare. You pay high taxes. Like we pay pretty high taxes in this country. Like I don't think people realize our taxes aren't incredibly low. They're 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 you know they're not super high compared to everybody else in the world, but they're modest. Like they're pretty they're pretty decent taxes. But you also pay for healthcare and monthly, and our healthcare per month is incredibly high compared to the, I mean most of the world zero. So we pay a lot. So you might sell something as a tax cut and you might think, oh, I'm getting out ahead, but you're paying this monthly tax, this monthly healthcare bill, and then you have a deductible when you go in. So it ends up you're actually paying more money for the whatever healthcare you have as opposed to just paying a little bit right. more in taxes. It does. does that make and sense? I, so, 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 oh, so sorry, I, go ahead. No, and I'm just thinking like if Dave, you're conditioned to think that paying less taxes is better – but you're not accounting for what you would get with a slightly higher tax. As I mean, literally, some people are paying like I know a guy, one guy, he's paying like three grand for his family, and I think it's just him, his wife, and his daughter per month on health insurance. Three grand. No, it. it you're telling me that guy wouldn't pay like a five percent right. tax hike to to have just uh you know universal and, and healthcare something that is amazing and I, and I will say up front that you know i am no healthcare uh policy expert and so i i call myself agnostic on universal healthcare. um i've seen it work you know well sure. in, in some countries and less well in others um and i, and I mean obviously the united states uh, has unique challenges with it but i'm certainly open the problem totally. i have with the republican party is rather than getting in good faith discussions about what a universal healthcare program should look like, or how could we get more um, affordable healthcare? There's just these we talked about earlier. These like, these simple like half witty comebacks of like, well, that's socialism, and voters go, oh yeah, that's you know, <laughs> or shouldn't the, the right. government get take get away from your healthcare? And people are like, yeah, they should. There's just not. I mean, if you took right. a thousand people who knew the most about Medicare or about healthcare policy, probably. 950 of them would be on the center left because conservatives just don't seem very concerned with that kind of knowledge. It's just ideology, small government okay. seems to trump like a serious thinking through these issues. The thing with, I mean, sometimes small government will be the answer depending on the issue and sometimes it shouldn't be, but there's just this ideological barrier with a lot of uh, Republicans. Yeah, I am. I am. I, th I think I, I don't know if I texted you this. I'm really on the Scandinavian model now where I think that we should have strong safety nets, strong social programs, and free markets. And we have less free markets yeah, than right, they do right. at this point, but we right. don't have healthcare. We don't have strong safety nets. We don't have paid leave. We don't have a bunch of things, and it doesn't make any sense. And it literally is just what you're saying is very simple argument. Like They will say something like, hey, you know how government sucks? And you think about your local government, and you're like, yeah, government does kind of suck. And then they go, do you want that in charge of your healthcare? And you're like, no right. way, man. And then, and then you're stuck in this system of health insurance, depriving, charging the hospital a lot for your care and depriving you of any real care at all. 
I mean, we have a crazy number of people going bankrupt trying to get health care right. in this country. And we're supposedly the richest country in the world. That's and this crazy. Is, this is a That's real insane. opening. I mean, you talked about, and this is very true. I mean, and again, this is the, I, I, I kind of make fun of both people on the left and the right who call Denmark a socialist country. I mean, you and I both know that's insane. I mean, it is, like, it is, it is, it has among the freest markets of any country and, and has among the, and has really among good, the right? you know, the broadest social safety nets. That's a real opening in the Democratic Party. And it's, the problem yeah. I have with a lot of Democrats is they get the social safety net problem right, but they're, they're not as market oriented as I'd prefer. Um, and, and so, you right. know, a lot of them are still trade protectionists, which I think is crazy. Um, and, and, you know, yeah. obviously regulations it depends on the regulation, but some, I think, support regulatory overkill. And, you know, and, but they, they praise the model of Denmark. And I think there should be a serious reckoning with the fact that, no, Denmark's, they have lower barriers for trade than the United States. They have less regulatory regimes in the United States. Obviously, you need some regulatory regimes. Um, but I think that's a, that's a real yeah. opening in the Democratic Party. That, and there is a lane there. But it's a, I think it's a real reckoning for both parties. I, I think even Republicans who would point to like, like, if you said that, if you said, hey, look at Denmark, they would say, well, look at all the programs they have, blah, 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 blah. Sure. You know, they're, despite that, they're a free market, but they're not as free. They're much freer, I mean, than we are. But on the other hand, I think both parties will point to the same country and just highlight the opposite of what the other party would do. And then just like not do anything about it. You know what I mean? Just say like, well, that's Denmark. I don't know. And to be fair to America, they're sure. homogenous in Denmark. Like, you know, there's not there's not a melting pot or a salad bowl, whichever model you want to prefer. I, we have different problems. I understand that. But the biggest problem we have is our military budget by far. I mean, you could cut 40 percent of this military budget and get a strong safety net in place. Well, Gustavo, this, this, this is where you and but, I dissent, because, as you know, I am still a neocon interventionist, but. You're much, yeah. You're much more interventionist than I am by far. But I, I'm, I'm like, hey, let's take the easy wins. Let's go give water to Africa, <laughs> and uh, and uh, help the American people. The, I will say though, uh, the yeah. I think one last point about the healthcare debate. This is a point that this is not an original thought yeah. of myself, but David Frum, who writes at the Atlantic, highly recommend him. But he made an interesting argument about using universal healthcare. And he's a conservative guy, worked for the Bush administration, but using uh, universal health care as a sort of unifying force in American culture and society to to, to make health care, universal health care, as part of what it means to be an American, similar to how the Canadians do it, to Brits do it, that like the NHS is part of what it means to be a proud Briton. And that would mean trade-offs, like it would just, not because immigrants are any lesser, or like undocumented immigrants are any lesser, but they would just... Uh, to, to use it as a social cohesive force, it would just have to be closed off to non-Americans. But, you know, I think it's a really interesting idea, especially when you see how fractured American society is today. Okay, but here's, here's the problem. I, I agree with you there, and I think that universal, I mean, I'm, I'm on board. Well, here's <laughs> People that are listening to this are probably thinking, wait a minute, Gustavo's on board with universal healthcare? This must be like a bizarre world. Here's why I'm on board. Because the situation we're in now is corporations and insurance companies are making money hand over fist off of the American people. My libertarian solution to this would be to cut all regulations and allow doctors just to serve people like direct to consumer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you literally go to this doctor's house. That's never going to (laughs) happen. That's literally never going to happen. 
So the other option, aside from just allowing doctors to be just doing independent contract work with people in their community, the only other option is universal healthcare, in my view, because you got to get insurance companies out of this. Insurance companies are making way too much money for no reason. Like they're literally like middlemen making a bunch of money so for I, no I, reason. I, I, oh, sure, go ahead. But the problem, yeah, the problem with what you're saying is um, of cutting out illegal immigrants. The problem is that illegal immigrants still end up in the ER. And if they're in the ER, they still get healthcare in the end. And it's the same problem you have with homeless people right now because they don't have healthcare. They end up in the ER and they end up costing you and me a lot more money than they would if you had preventative care in place because they show up when they're falling apart and they show up to the ER and literally these things cost like 10 grand. Well, this is, remember how we know? talked about how voters think through very simplistic terms. The point about illegal immigrants was not about you know whether or not it's wise policy. It's about how do you build a universal healthcare system that is able to uh, maintain broad popular support. Um, and 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 the thing is, yeah, gonna, and, and, and seeing fair. it through the lens of not healthcare policy but a social cohesion policy. The thing is, you're right. You're going to end up paying for those people anyway. But that's not how people are going to think about it. And it's just a sad reality. And it's, I guess it's, you know, manipulation of voter stupidity. I sound very elitist right now, but. Well, listen, I have given up. <laughs> I actually had another segment um, talking about how people criticize me for this, but I think most of them are in bad faith. Um, here's the problem. You're a highly educated person. I'm a highly educated too. person. I might have to go back. Yeah. We're coastal elites and, and but it's, it's hard to understand where people are coming from without making it sound simplistic, I think. But I don't I, – <laughs> I think they're coming from a simplistic place. I just think they're coming from very simple ideas yeah. of how things work, and they don't, they're not aware that things don't quite work that way. Like here's a crazy, here's a crazy, here's a crazy um, stat, I guess. The people most worried about the border – are normally right. in the middle of the country. And those are the people that vote for the wall. Those are the people that vote for like really tight immigration policy, but they don't see any Mexicans. They don't see, and they certainly don't see any Canadians, but they don't see any Mexicans. And those are the people most scared of the Mexicans. So like you and I trying to make, you know, let's say we were trying to make policy for the Southern border. We, you can consider those people somewhat, right? We have to like, they're American people. They have votes. We have to consider them somewhat, but they just don't know the reality. Right. Well, you know it's, I mean? why, it's why you get like the people, like, like the people who talk about themselves being most concerned about the demographics of their community changing, and the people who are talking the most worried about their jobs being lost to immigrants, and most in favor. These are the people that live in Youngstown, Ohio, not San Diego, California. Exactly. Exactly. Because those people, and I'm, I mean, and I, you know. <laughs> It ends up being that assimilation with other cultures dissolves the racism. Ah, but you just used a dirty word, among I, other... You know, there's going to be some people that, uh, that don't like that. <laughs> melting yeah, pot? I know they melting don't like pot. When I say assimilation, I... yeah, when I say assimilation, I, I really don't mean Mexicans assimilating to Americans. I mean Me Americans assimilating right. it's a, it's to Mexicans and yeah, Mexicans assimilating to Americans. And then you get text mag Total crossover. Par, but... Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, but it's just difficult because I try to be fair and 
I've tried to be fair to the working man this whole time. Throughout the whole Trump administration, I've really tried to be fair to the, you know, and I have, dude, I have friends. Like, for <laughs> here's a perfect example, okay? Here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Here's my frustration. I have a guy, I won't say his name. Uh, I grew up with this guy, basically. He's a little older than me. We're both sure. leaders at the, at, at the church. And he is, I believe he's like a steel worker, but he's like mm. a pretty high up level person at this point. He's not very educated, okay? Diehard Trump supporter. He posted something basically about Biden's, uh, and listen, we're going to, you and I are going to have to do a different episode because I can't <laughs> no have problem. this podcast be an hour and a half. But we're going to do the executive orders maybe later on this week. Um, but he posted something about Biden using executive orders and he said, He's using executive orders because it's unpopular and he can't get anything done without executive orders. And I said, and I literally said, Hey, and listen, I, I mean, this guy and I have a strained relationship already because I do this a lot. So I just posted on his status. I said, Hey, Donald Trump had 220 executive orders for a one-term president. That's insane. Like that's through the roof. For a one-term president, and he just deleted the status. <laughs> so, how do like how do I try to take into account his opinion when his opinion isn't based on anything? You know what I mean? It's not based on any knowledge of what's actually going on. Right. It's based on Fox News and Sean Hannity, and just a lack of understanding of of what right. he's even Gustavo, doing himself. I, I have made my life a lot easier by following the advice of Tom Nichols over at the Atlantic. I think his piece was called something like titled something like uh, "Arguing with the die Arguing with the diehard Trump cultist is a waste of your time," and it, I mean, if if somebody <laughs> believes, and I know people from my high school, oddly enough, that figure uh, go figure, they're the ones that who didn't go to college, who are convinced that PizzaGate is real, that you know the QAnon conspiracy theory is real, uh, that the real people writing were uh, Antifa, but they also support the intro- none of these people make sense. It's not that I don't even know if they're acting in bad faith. I don't think they are, but it's just a waste of your time to argue with. I mean, it's, it, no, I don't think. I will say this: I don't think the lay people, like the ground level, ground roots people, right. are in bad faith. I think they're just misled, and I think it's easy to mislead right. them because and they're look, not. You educated. just have to assess. I think with each person, you have to assess whether or not uh, they're reachable. Um, I mean, there's different. You know, I I don't think your average uh, Trump voter is a QAnon follower. Um, so, you know, you just have to assess. I yeah. mean, I've had a family member who I who was spreading QAnon stuff, and I commented on it very respectably, and I got blocked. Okay, she's just not reachable. Um, but, you know, other people, they just, they kind of, right. believe, they're older, they believe everything they see on the internet, and they think, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, Joe Biden's a pedophile. Hillary Clinton, you know, if you talk to them, and, you know, they're, they, they might be more willing to listen, and uh, maybe not, you know, learn, realize to not take everything for granted. So you know, I think you just have to make an individual assessment. I've been I've been shocked at how many people have have just no, hopped no. on this QAnon bandwagon. People don't believe me when I tell them. I know theories. a ton of people it's been, that are following it. No, I. But it's it's really scary because you have people who are you would think just normal. You know, they're your grocer. They're your they're just normal people in your community that have believed things that are just, and, and like I said this the other day, you would have to know almost nothing about how things work <laughs> to believe the conclusion that the right. QAnon conspiracies come to. 
like one of them was that Joe Biden was going to be arrested during the yeah inauguration, and I was like, for one, for what? The election you know, we'll that makes no sense. It. But which is which is grand yeah, theft, and I know like, this has a sovereign citizen. Like, <laughs> like all of that is just like you would have to know nothing about how anything works. Yeah. Period. You know what I mean? And it just yeah, it's I think, dude. I I've lost a lot of faith in the American people and I, a lot I of faith in the education system. At least part sure. of it. I think there's two parts of it. I think one, people just spend way more time online since COVID started. I think the other, there's just something about feeling like you have this this access to knowledge that others do not understand. And especially when you're a grocery yes. clerk with that, when exactly. out of high school, like there's something empowering about that. So. Right. And that's the majority of the people that I see supporting conspiracy theories are they're just uneducated. Most of these people, you know, maybe they finished high school. They certainly never went to college. And there, there is a power in them feeling like, Oh, yeah. I know something you don't. I'm on the inside of this thing, but it's, yeah, it's, I talked a little bit about it in the prior segment, but it, it's just, it's very disheartening because you think in California, these people have the same power, you know, the same power of the vote as I do. But if somebody in Florida <laughs> believes that their vote <laughs> is worth so much more right. than your vote or my vote. Right. Disheartening. And that's disheartening. Yeah, that's insane. Disheartening to say the least. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to break this into two parter. Uh, because I really wanted to get through these executive orders, but there's no way there's I'm going to no make this a two-hour podcast. I hear what you have to say about some of these things. Uh, so let's let's put a pin in this conversation. We're going to pick it up on executive orders for a part two with Luke, and we'll get back to that at Thank some other point. So Luke, thanks for joining I, I me. Especially getting a, a part two. That's that, you know this was a filibuster tactic because I really just wanted to be on your show again. <laughs> well, it works. Yeah, exactly. you're doing the old Mitch McConnell right now. It's uh, it's very strong. Okay, so I will. I'm gonna end it All here, right, thanks, and we'll catch you in part two. All right, see you, bud.